Well, how is everyone doing? Good? Yeah? <laughs> Join the presence of the Lord? Awesome. Hey, well, we're excited um, tonight because we get to launch a new series um, today. So um, our series is going to be called um, How to Remain in Jesus. Yeah. So exciting stuff. So Earlier this year, we as a college staff um, were waiting on the Lord. We always wait on the Lord at the beginning of the year. Of We pray through it. Of like, Lord, what do you want um, to do in these college students um, this year? What do you want to do in our family of people um, this year? And one of the, the phrases we heard, one of the words that we heard, um, was to, for us to be people who worship Jesus in spirit um, and in truth. Right, for us to worship him in spirit and truth, for us to abide in him in spirit and truth, um, and for us to remain in him in spirit and in truth. Um, so they're going to be setting up behind me um, for a series that we're going to launch into, but I'm just going to give a little bit of visit, um, vision for that right now. Um, so that phrase, um, in spirit and in truth, um, is actually out of John 4. Um, so John chapter 4, that's not um, just like spiritual language that we're trying to use or anything like that, but it's actually the very words um, that Jesus uses himself in that chapter of how do we um, worship God, um, how do we be true worshipers of him. Um, so in spirit, what he's referring to there is um, us having actual relationship um, with God um, and wherever and whenever that that's available to us. And that's not something that we just have to come to a temple to do or offer sacrifices for, um, but by the power um, of his blood um, and his body broken for us, we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Um, and in truth, meaning in sincerity of heart, that that would actually be our reality. And then in John 15, um, Jesus tells us that he is the vine and we are the branches. If we remain in him and he remains in us, then we will bear much fruit. But apart from him, we will do nothing. So there's this invitation there from Jesus um, for us to abide in him or to remain in him like the language we're using here and how to remain in Jesus. And so over the next um, several weeks, we're actually going to practically flesh that out of how do we remain in Jesus. Um, so we're going to offer you guys um, a bunch of practicals um, on how to remain or abide in him. Um, and by practicals, like I actually mean that we're going to get very practical um, in these teachings. Um, so they're going to look a little different um, than what you guys are used to. Um, and they're not just our own ideas of what it looks like to remain or abide in Jesus, but it's um, what we see in the life of Jesus himself um, in the Gospels of how he remained or how he abided um, in the Father. Um, and so these practicals, you guys have, may have heard of them referred to before, called spiritual disciplines. Um, so that's kind of language that's thrown out there a lot. Um, and in my opinion, it's kind of mediocre terminology to what it actually refers to. And because, yes, they do take discipline, um, but actually they're the, it's a partaking in discipline, but it's, they're not um, the end itself, each spiritual discipline. Right? It's not just this activity that you do to check it off a list, but it's a means to an end. And that means to the end is to um, discover more of the heart of Jesus, for you to abide in him and for you to remain in him. So we're going to help you to create rhythms and space for you guys to actually be able to abide in the Lord practically and what that can look like. Um, so that's going to be the next three or four weeks that we're going to be doing that. 
And, and because, again, it's on the more practical side of things, the teachings are going to look different. So it's going to look um, less like sermons. I mean, it's going to look more like maybe a couple people up here um, or even tonight. Our whole college team is going to be up here. Most of our college team is going to be up here. I and mean, we're going to be starting it off um, with a panel. I and mean, it's going to be on some really essential core um, disciplines of silence, solitude, um, and the Sabbath. And so I want to invite our college team up here, and we're going to go ahead and kick that off. This thing on? Okay, cool. All right. Hey, y'all. If you don't know who I am, my name is Lisette. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Um, I am a intern on college staff. I hang out with the ASU peeps, so forks up. Come on. Um, but I'm just going to be here facilitating um, this discussion tonight. This is kind of just like the living room. This is pretty informal. It's not supposed to be like super wild, but we just wanted to sit down and have a real conversation of what it looks like to like, do what Chris was saying. It's not a means to the end, but it's what does it look like to look more like Jesus in the ways that he did these things too. And we want to do that because we want to look like Jesus. So I, the, this is kind of like the hot seat, but it's like not because they all do these so well. And that's why they're up here. That's why I think it's really cool because we can trust that these peeps kind of know what they're talking about, like, because they've lived it. And I've had the privilege of living with Lillian Stosh, and I know that they do these things because I've seen it. So it's been just so cool, and I know that everyone else does it too. So, but we're all still learning, so that's the truth there. <laughs> Sweet. Well, we're just going to pass around the mic, and we're going to have a little convo. So... We're first going to talk about solitude. Chris, what is solitude? <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, I took a lot of notes here, and it's easier for me to look at them than to try to memorize things. Um, so I'm going to be reading a little bit of definitions for you. Um, but for the first one, it was um, just straight from the dict dictionary of what is solitude. Um, so the dictionary defines it as the quality or state of being alone or remote from society. Um, but that's not the kind of solitude that we want to talk about. Um, so more so what we're talking about is the way that Jesus practiced um, solitude or his disciples and those after them that practiced it. Um, and it's more of a um, state of mind or um, like a, a place in your heart that you go to to experience um, solitude is what we're talking about. So not in like the Eastern meditation kind of way, um, but more so in a way where we're abiding in Jesus in solitude. Um, so it's, it's kind of in that way of like we are the temples um, of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's us getting alone to actually encounter the Holy Spirit in us. Um, so it's not necessarily looking introspectively inside of us, but it's more so looking at the Holy Spirit in us. So it's very um, Jesus-focused um, in what we do. Um, so it might take you having to remove yourself um, from distraction or from the noise and busyness of life to actually enter into solitude, um, but it should become, um, after routine and after um, discipline of doing it over and over, it should become a place where you can go into the busyness of life and enter into it, into a place of 
um, just in your heart or into a state of mind um, that you go into. Um, so it's less just getting away from other people um, and to be more introverted, um, and it's more so um, getting alone with Jesus is what we're talking about when we talk about solitude. Um, so it's um, consecrating yourself for his sake instead of isolating yourself for your own sake. The word. That's good. Also, practical note, this is a very practical teaching. So if you don't have a, like, what's it called? Notepad? Journal is what I meant to say. We have pens and papers over by Tyler. Tyler, raise your hand. Hey. Yeah. Pens and papers. So seriously, if you need one to write this stuff down, go grab one. It's going to be there the whole time. And the nice pens. So. Or if you need one, raise your hand and Rachel will give you one. Thanks. Just wanted to put that out there. Um, sweet. Thank you for that definition, Chris. That was awesome. Um, and so now I want to pass the mic to Josh. Um, and just when we hear about solitude and how it's different than just getting alone, what is the goal of it? And how does it really actually lead us to Jesus? So. Yeah, so just like Chris was saying, it's more than just introvert space. It's more than isolating and watching Netflix for four hours or longer. Um, But solitude is really intentional. It's set apart time to meet with Jesus, which is exactly what he was saying. And I think it's important to note when we talk about solitude that there's a lot of reasons why we hate being alone. Like, if you're an extrovert in the room, you're probably like, yeah, I can't be alone for two minutes. Like, if I'm alone, I'm missing out on something, or I just, like, feel anxious because I need people. Um, But even for an introvert, like, you can be alone and actually still have those same feelings that rise up. Um, A lot of us actually fear being alone. Um, Because when we get alone, the things that we try to bury or stuff in our hearts or minds actually starts to spring up, and we have to do something with it. And so solitude is more than just like, oh, I'm going to, like, be alone. It's like I'm actually going to be alone and give God space to let these things rise up so that we can actually talk about them. And so we have a lot of icky stuff inside of us. (laughs) I know that I do. And so sometimes it's just easier to stay busy rather than actually dealing with the things that we're carrying. And so solitude is carved out space to not only meet with Jesus, but also to do business with him and let him bring those things to the surface. And sometimes like you're actually doing really good and you're not carrying a lot of stuff and it's really awesome. Um, And then other seasons are really hard and there's a lot of things that you're carrying that God wants to speak to. Um, But if we don't give God space, um, we, like, may not be aware of actually which things are, like, coming with us into every season of life. Um, So solitude is about creating space to listen and not just about refraining from noise. And so I think when we think solitude, we can be like, I'm going to go off onto a mountaintop and, like, It'll be perfectly silent, and I can't hear the freeway or whatever else. Um, Phoenix is such a loud place. There's, like, nowhere to go here that's quiet, which is a huge bummer. But more than that, we're not just going so that we can find other noise or even so that we can give ourselves something. We're actually going to invite God to speak. Um, And there's a proverb that says, All those who open their mouths close their eyes. And we talk way more than we listen. And so solitude, honestly, is the first step into being able to hear God, um, which is why it's super important to give him space to meet with us. Um, But the reason why that matters, too, um, and this, I think, is ultimately how solitude leads us to Jesus, is that solitude is ultimately about trust. 
It's about saying, hey, God, I'm super uncomfortable being alone. It actually raises up fear in me. It causes me to deal with my junk, but I trust that you've got me, and I trust that you've got some, something for me in this space. And so it, it is uncomfortable. It's weird. It's hard to find a place to be in solitude. Chris and I this summer shared this tiny 300-square-foot room with basically a bed in it in Indonesia, and we were like, we need to be alone because we're both introverts. So I sat on the bed, and he sat on the floor with a comforter over his head so that he could pretend that he was alone, and I could pretend that I was alone. Um, but, like, that's how much our hearts needed it, <laughs> especially in that season. Like, there was so much junk that we were dealing with that it was like, God, we don't want to be here, and we want to say we trust you, but, like, we need to actually get alone with you so that we can actually say and know in our hearts that we trust you. And that is going to require us to give you an invitation to speak. And so, ultimately, I think this spiritual discipline is all about trust. And it's about trusting the Lord and giving over control to him. Which, if you're a control freak like me, you don't love that. But it's even better for us, and we really need it. I just really <laughs> like that Indonesia story. <laughs> Because I could relate, because I was also in Indonesia with them, and I was like, yeah, I need some solitude. Um, but where am I? Oh, yeah. So this is still just around you guys, so either of you can speak, jump in, whatever. Um, like, how and where do we see solitude in Scripture? Because um, we want to be people of the word. Like, where in Scripture is solitude kind of portrayed and shown? Yeah, so there's definitely plenty of examples, but we decided to choose um, four of them um, from the life of Jesus in particular. Um, so the first one is um, the first 40 days of Jesus' ministry, and um, he spends them alone in the desert. Um, so he goes out led by the Holy Spirit into solitude um, to go out into the desert um, on his own. Um, and if you guys have read it before, you know um, what ends up happening. Well, the devil shows up. Um, and I don't think that Jesus just kind of stumbled um, into the devil. I think he kind of knew what was coming up, and he had to prepare ahead of time for what was going to happen. Um, so it was almost like this offensive um, weapon for um, warfare that was going to come in his life. Um, so and we could even see solitude being um, that for ourselves. It's this place of um, making us ready um, for when um, the distractions, the attacks of the enemy might try to come our way. Um, and then um, we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, um, before Jesus chose his um, 12 disciples, he um, spent the whole night alone, um, so on his own. So um, we see it here as an example where he specifically needed wisdom, guidance, and even answers um, from the Lord. Good stuff. I've got a few more examples from the life of Jesus. Um, there's a whole list, so if you don't know any of these, just go read a gospel and you'll see more. But specifically, just felt like God was highlighting, um, there's a story in the book of Mark in chapter 6 where Jesus sends out the disciples, and he sends them out to go heal the sick, <laughs> raise the dead, cast out demons, go preach, go share the gospel. Um, and when they come back, the first thing he says to them is to come away by yourselves to a lonely place. And so I think what we can draw from this is, when we are going and pouring our lives out, whether that is through actually ministering to people and loving the people on our campuses, or even if it's just the life stuff, like life can be super exhausting. Um, the place that we go to get refreshed is the place of solitude with Jesus. It's the lonely place that actually isn't lonely at all because it is just going to be with Jesus. Um, and even thinking of like Jesus is our friend and you spend time with your friends, 
hopefully. <laughs> like, that's the key to a good friendship. And so being like, Jesus is my most refreshing friendship that I have in my life. And so I need to draw away and I need to go meet with him to be refreshed. And then we also see this in the life of Jesus in Matthew 17. Um, he goes to the mountain. He goes with his three best disciples, best friend disciples. I don't really know. Um, but they go, and this is where the transfiguration happens. Um, and so we see all of this is happening as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's in, like, agony, knowing what he's about to face. And so rather than honestly turning to other people to talk about it, rather than running away from his problems, he goes to the mountain, to God, to meet with him, to receive strength from the Lord. And so solitude literally is us being like, I'm weak, and I'm super needy, and God has exactly what I need. And so if it worked for Jesus, it'll work really well for us also, because we are much less perfect than Jesus. Um, so those are just a few examples from the life of Jesus, but honestly, if you turn anywhere in your Bible, you'll see examples of solitude. Um, the prophets were really good examples of this. Um, usually they were engaging in the discipline of solitude when God would speak to them and give them prophetic words for the people. Um, we see this in Daniel and Moses and Abraham um, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, we see how important it is to cultivate a life of solitude with the Lord with intention. That is so good. I really like how you said, like, the lonely place isn't actually so lonely because Jesus is with you. That's awesome. Um, yeah, Sada. I want to hear from you. Hi. She's awesome, y'all. I'm so happy that she's here. <laughs> um, so my question for you is, like, we talk about it's not just introvert time. It's not just, like, I don't want to be with people, so I'm going to go. What is the difference between isolation and solitude, and how does that play out? How did it play out in your life? Yes. Like that. So isolation can pull us away from Jesus, and solitude draws us close to Jesus. Solitude done well draws us closer to community because um, Jesus is with us doing that. Isolation um, can pull us away. And life has happened for me, and I learned solitude and that isolation wrestle um, in some unfortunate circumstances that made me really desperate to figure out how to overcome. And so just to bring you all in, um, just personally into uh, 2018, I was working at ASU and I um, walking with Jesus, learning how to do life, just a normal day, spending time with the Lord, practicing these disciplines, and nothing can prepare you for a phone call from your parents. My dad is here. Um, love you, Dad. Nothing can prepare you for a phone call from your parents at 9 a.m. telling you, hey, your brother was found dead this morning. So my older brother, Chris, passed away September 2018. And I was in the bathroom pulled away from my desk, and all I could say is, Jesus. <laughs> There's, you feel like your life just falls apart. You feel like you're in a super dark black room, and you do not know how to look to the next day. 
I was living with two of my best friends, uh, Anna and Danny. I came home, shared with them, and that started a nine-month journey of deep depression and trying to figure out how to function. I remember talking to Jesus and saying, hey, is this my new life? Is this my new life where I live just in so much sadness that it's incomprehensible, like you just can't comprehend? You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know, like, what's next. You kind of just want to go to heaven. Um, You want to just be done. And so in that, I'm like, God, help me. Help me. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to open my Bible. So I immediately started putting just scriptures and printing out papers and putting them all over my room. Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff comforts me. Putting scriptures, the joy of the Lord is my strength, just declaring truth. When I was not at work, I was in my room seeking solitude with Jesus setting up times to be with my roommates to check in weekly. I had a facilitated meeting with five girls that we met weekly. I desperately needed accountability to stay scheduled time with community. I'd show up to church, but I would leave right away because I didn't want someone to ask me, how are you doing? Because that reminded me of pain. That reminded me of the reality of what was happening. I just wanted to forget pain. So solitude was a gift. Solitude with Jesus was a gift. I'm so thankful for community. I'm so thankful I pressed in to community, even when I didn't feel like it, even though when it was uncomfortable. I'm so thankful I didn't isolate because that would have been miserable to do that alone. But I would sit in my room with truth, with scriptures, just looking at scriptures for hours and hours in my room, speaking truth over my life, declaring truth over my life. And I did that for nine months straight, and I was ready to do that for the rest of my life, even if I felt no change. And I remember I was in Indonesia with my mom on, a, on an overseas missions trip, and just a normal day, scriptures in hand, <laughs> getting time with the Lord. I was just in my hotel room, and in an instant, something shifted, and the depression just came off. There's, there's, there's no words that can describe. There's, there's nothing. All I can say is solitude done well. Solitude, even if you don't even know how, even if it's uncomfortable, pursuing it with the discipline, with the perseverance, because Jesus does come through. It's unique for each person. And I'm so thankful that though I learned that the hard way, and yes, it's still a journey, he's worth it. He's worth it to seek in that solitude place. So solitude draws you to Jesus. It draws you closer to community. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think if anyone can resonate with that, Take hold of a fresh start today. Take hold of a fresh start to pursue it with Jesus and do it with community around you.
Wow. That was awesome. And thank you for sharing. Seriously, it's so beautiful just to see how, like, solitude done well can actually propel you into greater freedom, greater, like, intimacy with Jesus, and even, like, doing community well just because of that. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing, Sada. And so that is just a little, like, not sneak peeky. You can explore solitude into that. But that is a short little panel on solitude. We have two more of these, but um, the thing with today is that it is going to be very, very practical. The reason that we're doing this is because these are things that we believe like you can leave this room implementing into your next week and into your next days and into the rest of your life. And so response time today is going to be a little different. It's going to be after each kind of section of this panel. And so right now, right now we are going to respond. Right now we are going to spend a few minutes thinking about how you can find solitude with Jesus. There are many different places of living right now, like you're in the dorms, you're like, how am I gonna get right from my roommate, even if your roommate is here today, like you both need to get solitude. Um, Where are you gonna go? When are you gonna do it? And what do you need to do to make it happen? And so literally every single person in this room should respond right now and say, okay, like whether it's writing a note on your phone or in your journal, I remember the word this time, in your journal, just really making a mental note of when I can do this, where I can go, and what do I actually need to do to make this happen. So we're literally gonna take a few minutes right now, so respond in whichever way you need to do that. Yes. I don't know if there's like music we can put on, I don't know. Well, we'll talk about that next. That's the uncomfy part, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so do that right now. Like a minute. It's not too long, but respond. So I'm so excited for you guys to have a solitude sometime this week with Jesus. Um, yeah, the next spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about is the culmination of silence and stillness, um, both of which is kind of hard to come by these days unless you're really intentional about it. And so we're going to talk about it, and we're going to have a little discussion. And so uh, Malia... Our fearless leader. Yes. Can we just? Yeah, You really don't have to do that every time. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. It just had to happen. Um, yeah, I just want to know, what is silence and stillness? 
Yeah, I think um, if, if you, like, just ask anyone in this room what is silence, um, one of the first things to come to mind is kind of what it is not. And I think we do the same thing with stillness. Like, we would say, oh, it's not noise. It's not talking. Um, it's not moving or doing something. Um, and I think it's rare to focus on what it actually means. Um, and even if we know, like, the actual definition of what silence and stillness are, we don't know... I think fully what it means to really practice them in a way that is is a discipline and leads us closer to the Lord. Um, and so I would say, like, they're both kind of an opportunity um, for God to speak. It's you positioning yourself in a way that says, okay, I'm, I'm going to stop talking for a minute and actually be silent um, to let the Lord speak. And so it's a conscious and intentional act. And it's not just we're not going to talk. We're not going to move. Um, it's saying, I'm going to put myself in a space for the sake of actually listening to the Lord. Um, and I think for, for a lot of people, like, that feels a little bit more uncomfortable. Um, but kind of what Stosh was alluding to earlier, I don't think you can actually have solitude without either of those. Like, I think they pave the way for solitude. Um, you can be completely alone in a room and still have your thoughts racing and your mind not really able to shut off, and that's not silence or stillness, right? Or you can be, you know, sitting on your bed totally still in a room by yourself, um, but you're, and you're, you can even be meeting with the Lord, but if your thoughts are still, like, you know, praying to God, like, here's what's on my agenda, here's what I'm thinking about, here's um, my monologue of the day, uh, we're not giving space for God to respond in the same way. Like, he listens to our monologues all day long, guys. <laughs> I don't know if you um, are aware of that, but, like, he, he hears our thoughts, and he um, is aware of what we're thinking about, what we're talking with him about. And silence and stillness are us intentionally choosing to give him space to speak. Um, and so it, it's a conscious effort, and it is very difficult, um, but it really is so, so worth it. Um, and so if you're, if you're like, oh, I, I naturally am more quiet or I naturally just am more comfortable with silence, like I'm one of those people, um, and I went to practice this yesterday because I was like, how does, you know, like, how do I articulate this well? And it was, like, I, I'm fine with sitting in awkward silence. It doesn't really bother me. Um, and I felt a little uncomfortable for a second, and I was like, I feel like I have to fill the space in my head with something. And I was like, nope, it's okay. Just just be still and be silent and let the Lord speak. Um, and he moves. When we give him that kind of space, um, he actually shows up. So, Amen. Thank you, Malia. <laughs> okay. So I want to hear from Sada again. Um, just still talking about silence and stillness. What is the goal of silence and stillness? And how does it lead us, like actually lead us closer to Jesus? Hey. hey. <laughs> so what is the goal? What is the goal of silence and stillness? And and how does it lead us closer to Jesus? How does it lead us closer to Jesus? The goal is unto seeing Jesus more clearly. True. <sighs> the goal of silence and stillness is, is unto seeing Jesus more clearly. 
how do we do this? What does this look like? When we get to see Jesus more clearly, we bring him into the thoughts, the, like Malia was saying, you just want to fill your mind with things. We bring him into that, into where it can be intimidating with our thoughts and what we're thinking and the realization of pain and anything, honestly. But he allows us to dig that and to have freedom. And so I wanted to share another personal experience, but I wanted to say before that, I don't want to create a roadmap or a checklist to accomplish freedom. But I want to share my testimony about what Jesus has done because what he has done in my life has changed my life. And there's so many ways that people can meet Jesus in stillness, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to convince this is the way or do this or you'll get step one, two, three done, and then Jesus comes through. No, we're all on a personal journey, so just wanted to say that before that. But uh, fall 2016, I signed up to spend a year in Greece with an Antioch, an Antioch team in Waco. And as about 20, some of us didn't know anybody except for one or two people, not close, just knew of them. And I moved to Greece because there was a refugee trail of refugees from Syria, Iraq, Iran that were migrating into Europe. And the borders had closed, so there was 60,000 refugees, homeless, essentially, in Greece, and clustered into camps of 1,000, 2,000. It was messy. It was so messy. And I got my ticket. I raised $25,000, and I was on my way to change the world. <laughs> and I was so pumped. I was so excited. But I was so unaware. <laughs> I was not the best at resting, Sabbathing, stillness, solitude. And, and I didn't know this, but I was burnt out. I arrive, and... I'm there in Greece, two weeks in, and I feel like I am about to have a mental breakdown. I go through legit, just mental insanity. I met with a counselor that had flew over to check on people and converse and just see where everyone is at. And he said, Sada, if you stay here, you are on the path to mentally not be okay long-term, maybe for the rest of your life. You are showing symptoms of secondary trauma. You are very close to PTSD. You have 10 days to get alone with Jesus, to be still, and to go there with him and the pain and the messy thoughts and invite him into that and have him heal and restore if you are not better in 10 days, you're on a plane back to the States. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I just raised $25,000 to be here for a year, and you're giving me 10 days to get better, which seems very impossible. But you're saying this is for, my, this is for the good. Like, this is actually, like, I need to do this, or else I'm not going to be okay. I call our pastors, Travis and Joy, tell them what's going on. Tell them I feel like a fail. I'm embarrassed. And they're like, hey, we're supporting you. 
were praying for you. They checked in on me, just invited them into the process. Spoke with the counselor every day over Zoom to just talk through the process. And he's just like, you need to be still, Sada. You need to be still. I'm like, how do you be still? There's 60,000 refugees 30 minutes away. Like, they need Jesus. Like, they're, they, they're suffering. They actually need care. Like, I am here. I am here. Yeah, you're here. But you're also about to head home in seven days if you do not get still. And I was so frustrated with God. I'm like, Okay, so I finally got into my room, didn't know my teammates, didn't know Greek, didn't know Arabic, didn't know how to drive stick, had no car. All I had was my room. Couldn't cook. It was just literally, you couldn't buy groceries. You're just dependent on everyday needs to just be met somehow. But I had my Bible, had my headphones, my worship music, and I surrounded myself with truth. I surrounded myself with the scriptures. Surrounded myself with scriptures like Zephaniah 3.17. He quiets you with his love. I'm like, how the heck do you quiet me with your love? What, is this, what does this look like? I don't even know, God. I know I'm not okay. I know this is nuts. And every day, just hours upon hours upon hours upon hours, just quieting myself, washing his love over me, grabbing hold of every single truth, every scripture that I could to just quiet my brain and to be still. And a shift started to happen. Breakthrough, healing. Talked to the counselor, said, hey, Sada, you've done a good job. I'm like, what have you done? I'm like, I have been miserable every day as I've sat in stillness, processing pain upon pain upon trauma upon trauma, and took time, but it changed my life. Y'all, it changed my life to practice stillness. I felt like I had to learn it the hard way, but I'm so thankful because I'm never the same. Like, it is just such a gift. And Jesus is the one that shared, showed, and gave me avenues to get there, and I'm forever thankful. And so from that point on, I learned how to be a daughter. I learned identity in deeper places that honestly could only have been learned for me in stillness. So. Dang, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that story again, just of how in a high-pressure situation of the Lord coming through when you give him space and stillness and silence. Like, that's so awesome. Um, and so we may not be in Greece <laughs> right now, um, but we're here in college. That's like the common season here in this room is in college. Everything's so busy. Um, so how do you practice this, Chris? <laughs> how do you do this in a busy life? How do you actually do silence and sol or silence and stillness um, in a season like this? Yeah, well, I think in any kind of busy season or just in the busyness of the life that we all live here in America in general. Um, so even with with silence, with stillness, with solitude, with all of them um, in all of the spiritual disciplines, um, we have to carve out time for it. Um, so it's first like if the time just comes about, 
like don't take it for granted, like jump on that, like seize that opportunity um, and take advantage of it. Um, and then also, like we do actually have to be intentional about planning out our days, planning out our weeks um, ahead of time and get into that rhythm of doing that. And um, so when you have extended time and make it a priority as well. Um, so there's a famous like story or quote from Andrew Murray um, here at the book Humility and was um, just an amazing man of God from South Africa um, where they ask him, so he's doing all of this incredible work for the Lord. And they ask him, um, Andrew, like, how can you afford to spend four hours um, with God alone in the morning? Like, how do you have the time for that with how busy you are? And he, like, said, how can I afford not to? Like, he knew that he needed, um, and when life got really busy, he needed to spend more time um, with the Lord. Um, and so I'm not saying, like, you need to go spend four hours in the morning with the Lord um, or anything like that, though that would be really cool and good. But um, there is a place of we do reap what we sow, I and mean, we do want to um, spend time with the Lord. We want to get time away um, with him when things get busy, because that's when we're going to need it the most, when we're pouring out so much of ourselves. We need to be filled up um, with the Lord. Um, then I would say take full advantage of the mundane moments in life. Um, don't just waste them away or just do busy work or something like that. Um, in Ecclesiastes um, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, it says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So the reality is that we will give an account for everything that we've done um, to the Lord. Like, we're going to give an account at the end of our life when we stand before him of everything that we've done. And that's not to create some kind of fear-mongering in you or um, to where you'll just become some monk that spends time away with the Lord um, for the rest of your life. Um, but it is an encouragement, an invitation um, into all the, the clutter of life, um, into those busy moments um, or the moments when you just use it to do whatever you feel like. Um, instead, make those an invitation to commune with the Lord. Um, change that um, habit um, instead of going to your phone or instead of just trying to like, okay, I'm going to fill this empty time with a podcast or listening to music or anything like that. Though that's not bad in itself, but when it becomes just the go-to instead of going actually to the Lord and communing with him, it can take away from so much um, opportunity for you to interact with him and to abide in him. Um, so practically, these are just some things that I do that are really helpful for me. Um, so I really enjoy running. So I've stopped running as much listening to like podcasts or listening to music or anything like that. And I just simply like to run in silence. Um, it's a place where I get to abide in the Lord. Um, and sometimes I hear his voice and it's awesome and I feel his presence. And sometimes it's just really nice um, to make that a practice and a habit to run in silence. Um, it's um, in urban Phoenix, so it's not necessarily quiet around me, but there is a place where I'm not going to like trying to put stuff into my ears, into my mind and myself, but I'm creating a space um, where I have um, silence around me, like internally, if that makes sense. Um, and then another one, another mundane thing that a lot of us do is driving. Um, so in driving time, like don't use it to listen to music or to listen to the radio or do a podcast or um, to call a friend. Like though those are things you can continue to do, but try to use it every once in a while to just get sit in silence with the Lord. Um, and before I used to like always feel like I needed to do something to engage with the Lord, like I needed to pray, um, I needed to worship or something like that. But sometimes just sitting there 
resting and receiving and enjoying his love is just as powerful. And it's a place where you feel confident and secure and that you're constantly abiding and remaining in him. Um, another one um, that's a practical one is cleaning. Um, so if ever you're cleaning your dorm, cleaning your room, it's I used to, to be able to even get myself to do it, I have to put on like music or a podcast or anything like that. But now even in those mundane things, I try to make it a time where I can um, abide in the Lord, even in the things that I don't enjoy doing um, necessarily. Um, but take, take advantage of those mundane things. Um, if you don't take op- the opportunity to do it, it will catch up to you. Um, and by that, I mean when you actually try to sit down and have alone time with the Lord, um, especially if it's not a regular rhythm in your life. Um, something that I found um, to be true, especially when I sit in silence um, or in silence and solitude, um, all the junk that's in my life or that's in my heart starts to come up. Um, and I just kind of want to run away. I don't want to do it anymore. It's too painful. Um, but just like any kind of habit or like exercise, um, when we're first starting it off, there's a lot of resistance or like pain or uncomfortability that we might experience. But the more that we press in and press through um, with it, we build up um, that habit. We build up um, that muscle um, to continue doing it. And I think spiritually there's a concept too. There's um, an analogy um, that's thrown out quite often. It's kind of like if you say to be running in a river. Um, so if you're running in a river, that's clear. But if you're running, you're like kicking up all the mud um, and dirt around you that's in the water. So it gets really foggy and unclear. But the moment that you stand still, that kind of dissipates, sinks to the bottom, becomes clear so you can actually see what's in there. And it's the same thing in our hearts. Um, If we actually quiet our hearts, if we um, still our hearts, if we go alone with the Lord, um, we can see, like, and have him show us what's actually in there. Um, So you might see um, some unattended to junk at first. And that's uncomfortable and it's hard, but um, in his light, we see light. Um, And we we want him to expose those things so we can actually deal with them and tend to our hearts in it. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, that was a really cool analogy, too. Really convicting. Like, got to stay still. But um, uh, next, I want to hear from Dawson. Um, welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> um, my question to you is, how do you navigate, like, the distractions in practicing silence and stillness? in regards to like calming your thoughts, getting rid of your phone. I know when I sit still for like a really long time, sometimes I like fall asleep. How do you navigate through that stuff? Totally. Um, wow. Well, first, how's it, is everyone liking this? I know we're doing something totally different. Um, our, goal, our goal is really that you would, that like we want to be people who don't just hear something, but we want to be people who obey. Um, and we get really serious and practical when it comes to obedience. So um, you're getting that full full blast right now. So thank you. Um, and just take notes. Um, my goal is to be really practical. Um, but I'm going to start with a verse from Proverbs 1. It's specifically verse Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 1, 20 through 21. Um, and it's this picture of wisdom calling out. How many of you guys want to tune in to the voice of wisdom? Yeah? yeah? Okay. I think all of us would say that wisdom is something we desire. Um, but this, this, this uh, scripture actually casts wisdom in an interesting light. Um, and it says that wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. 
And you can kind of just read that as poetic details, but I think Scripture knows what it's saying. Um, when you think about each of those places, those are really noisy, busy, full places. I mean, you've got the marketplace. You've got the street. If you ever stood on next to the 101, you would know what we're talking about. Um, you've got um, the entrance of the gates in the cities. That's where all the people from the farmland came in every morning and evening, um, and people would cry out from the gates. And so what you got here is you have wisdom crying out, saying, come to me, come and learn from me, but she is not the only voice. And that's super important. Wisdom is not the only voice. It's not going to be a standout voice. And you have to recognize that when you're searching for wisdom, and this is wisdom, the spiritual disciplines of Jesus, that it's not going to be clear-cut, clouds part, most likely. But there's going to be some noise alongside of it. And I get really passionate about what does it look like for us to steer clear and remove noise? How do we do that so we can see Jesus clearly. I mean, that's kind of like the river analogy. Um, and I want you to think of your brain as a track. Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Like a track, at like a track and field, like a, like a track. So think of your brain like a track. I was asking Jesus one day because um, my story, um, I uh, thought I was a feeler. I'm actually a thinker. Um, I've been learning that recently just because things just loop in my brain. It takes so long to get them out. And I was asking Jesus, what is going on in my brain? And I just got a very simple image he gave me of a track. And I felt like he said, hey, your brain is a track. And I'm going to demonstrate this. But he said, hey, what you put onto the track is not just going to go away the minute you stop thinking about it, but it's going to go around and keep going. And then if I put something else on the track, it's also going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And then what the thing is that happens over time is that track gets really full because we go all day without actually stopping, pausing, and being quiet in our soul to say, what's on the track of my brain? To where have you ever gotten home and you're like, I don't know what happened today. I am so tired. That is track overload. And silence allows us to see what's going on inside of our mind and actually steward it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so here are some ways to empty the track and declutter and make way for silence and stillness to actually happen. Because if you don't know how to empty the track, silence is going to be really annoying. And you're going to sit and you're just going to think about that weird conversation you had with that friend where you said that thing. And you're like, oh, did they take that weird? I don't know. And you're just going to loop on that. But you're also going to be thinking about your test tomorrow. You're going to be thinking about, oh, my gosh, I really need to study tonight. But I also have my family coming in this weekend. And i got to prep for this thing and that thing. And if you don't know how to deal with that, that's just going to happen. And you're going to get really frustrated in this moment of silence. Um, so first thing, this is really practical. I do it on my phone. Um, um, but you can also just do it if you journal. Do a thought dump. At the end of your day or when I leave campus, so I'm at ASU two or three times a week. When I leave campus, I sit in my car and I write down all my thoughts from that day. And I say, Jesus, what stood out to me? And I just kind of write down random thoughts. I write down weird things. I write down things that bother me. I write down things that frustrate me. I write down it all. And what that actually does is it gives my mind an opportunity to say, hey, this is coming off the track. It's coming off the track. Does that make sense? Really simple. You just write it down. Okay. Um, the second one, um, and it's funny because I'm holding it, but say no to the phone. Say no to the phone. Um, phones are proven if you open a phone and you just look at it for a minute, you see notifications, it's actually proven to distract you for the next 15 minutes. Your brain is not focused for the next 15 minutes after you look at your phone at a notification that pops up while you're in class or wherever you are. Um, and so 
Phones, I don't know if you know this, I'm going to get on my phone soapbox for a minute, and I love cell phones. I think they're a great tool, um, and I think, I think if we use them wisely, they are a blessing to society, so hear me say that. Um, but there are aspects of cell phones that are actually engineered to dominate your attention. There are things that psychologists working with software engineers are actually working on to say, oh, the color red for the notification is actually more addictive and going to draw your eye to click on it so you can see ads so they can make money. And so there's a real um, kind of underbelly of things that just like makes this thing addictive. Um, and so um, I had a couple thoughts on that. Um, first one is airplane mode is your friend. Airplane mode is your friend, not just when you're boarding a Southwest flight. Who likes those A seats? Amen. Um, but um, airplane mode is your friend. I love Southwest. Um, we bless Southwest. Her mom's a Southwest flight attendant. Um, but um, so airplane mode is your friend. What, what we do in the morning, we spend time with Jesus. Our phone is off through the night till after my time with Jesus is done. And then I, when I start my day, when I start work, when I start doing things, that's when my phone turns on. Why? Because I'm sitting there, and I'm encountering Jesus, and I'm like, your glory is so beautiful. Ding. And then I look. I'm like, oh, so-and-so texted me. And then I'm like, wait, where was I at? Oh, um, your glory. But you just, it's just, it's, it's distracting. It's not helpful. Um, you probably know what I'm talking about. Let's be real. Um, and I just want to say that airplane mode is your friend. Use this as a tool. Don't let it use you. Um, okay. Um, a couple other thoughts. And these are raw, so forgive me if I hurt you. Please tell me. Um, it will be okay if someone reaches out to you and you don't answer. Um, if your phone's on airplane mode, it will be okay. Um, and I had this thought, and I felt like I should say it, um, but you're dialoguing with God, and is someone's text really more important than the voice of the Almighty? Um, I just, just, just sit on that. And, I, I, and I'm harping on this phone not because, like, I hate phones. I love my phone. It's very useful. My family lives, like, a 20-hour drive away. I use this to communicate with my family. My wife and I, we need it to keep tabs on each other throughout the day. Um, not keep tabs, just communicate. Um, but... but um, but anyways, um, what I'm trying to say um, is that um, it's really important um, to learn how to navigate and use this thing, and it is really important to set aside time away from it, um, specifically when our society doesn't ever get time away from technology. We carry it in our pockets. It never goes away from us to actually help steward those silent places. Um, does that make sense? So what you're really contending for is how can I keep this track empty? And not just empty, because... Um, Chris said this earlier, but there's this thing in like Eastern meditation and Eastern philosophy that's really weird and wonky. Um, but it's the idea that if you meditate and you quiet yourself, you're actually emptying yourself to kind of become part of this great divine. That's not the God we serve. We actually empty ourselves to behold truth. And so what you're trying to do when you do this is you don't want the phone you don't want um, the distractions of the day. You don't want those random thoughts. That's why we do thought dumps. That's why we take space away from our phone. That's why we um, you know, drink a good cup of coffee so we can be awake and attentive with the Lord. Um, and then in that moment, what I'm saying is, okay, in this track, I'm working to empty it so that I can fill it with truth. Because I want truth to be the thing that is looping in my brain, and that's ultimately the end goal of silence, that God would speak and mark us. Um, does that make sense? Okay. 
Cool. Um, I, there's a few different ways to help your mind settle as well. Um, and I wanted to write those down. Um, Thanksgiving, I, I kind of let us in that earlier today. But just giving God thanks, even when you don't feel like it, for some reason just puts you in right perspective with him. Um, scripture meditation. I was doing this today. I was meditating on Romans 5. I just like needed it. I was like, my mind is so scattered. I just need to read this and declare it. And it actually stilled my mind to a place where I was silent before the Lord. It was really sweet. Um, praying in English or if you have the gift of tongues, praying in tongues. Um, both of those are really powerful ways to help your mind settle and to steward your heart to get to a place of encountering Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus um, and encountering him. So um, that's kind of what I would say. Um, and then when it comes to naps, sometimes you just got to gauge your heart. Um, is my nap um, out of rebellion and me just not wanting to meet with God? Or is my nap something I'm like, I just need to fall asleep in the arms of a loving father? And it's a gray area, but let me just say there's a grace to figure that kind of stuff out. Um, but I, I think there's a point to be really attentive when it comes to distractions and saying, God, teach me to nip the things that pull my gaze away from you. So um, I gave a few. Um, I know I was really blunt and strong, so thank you for that. But Honestly, yeah. it's great. Cool. Thanks, Dawson. Cool. Yeah. Um, sweet. And we're going to do it right now for one minute. It's going to be uncomfy. You close your eyes to whatever you got to do, but we're going to sit in silence for one minute all together. And silence and stillness. So do whatever you got to do. Get comfy. You can lay on the floor if you want. I, I, I'm all for that, honestly. Just don't fall asleep. Um, but we're going to sit in silence for one minute, and I will time it, so it'll be okay. But definitely just encourage you to try to stay still. Give your thoughts to the Lord, and just sit with him. It's a beautiful thing to sit with the Lord. And here we go.
Thank you, God, for silence. It's always awkward to be the one to break it, but here I am. It's okay. Not going to lie to you, we did more than a minute. I got distracted because it was nice. I don't know. It was okay. But <laughs> it's okay. But that is just a little taste of what true silence and stillness can look like. And honestly, I, a minute in silence, I feel refreshed. So it's awesome. What would a morning be like with Jesus in silence? Let's find out. Um, you can do that when you're doing your solitude, and it'll be great. But um, that's awesome. Yeah. So next we're going to talk about Sabbath. This is going to be just a really straight shot. We're going to do this um, maybe a little quicker, <laughs> a little less time. Um, but Dawson, I just really want you to tell us what Sabbath is and, um, yeah, what, what is Sabbath, Dawson? That's great, Lisette. I actually have a really short answer for this one. Amazing. Um, so, so you know, the Lord knew I would have gone long on the last one. No, but it so. was good. Oh, I liked the track. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that hey, funny. steal that, please. Um, all right, Sabbath. Um, what is Sabbath? Um, Sabbath is the English way to say Shabbat. Can everyone say Shabbat? Shabbat. It's a really fun word. Um, Shabbat means to cease, to rest, or to stop. Um, it's, a ver- it's a variation of meanings. Um, and, w- and rest not out of tiredness, but just simply like, I am going to cease. Um, and so um, it's actually rooted in the fabric of how God created the earth. Um, so if you know the creation story, um, the Lord God created the earth in six days. On the seventh day, it says that he rested, um, but that actual word is Shabbat, which means he just ceased. Obviously, we know God doesn't get tired, so what it says is God stopped, and he beheld the work he had created. Um, And so um, this is actually the first usage, and actually sets the standard that Israel then took um, and modeled and created, and and, and Yahweh spoke a law for them to walk that out too. Um, And so Shabbat, or Sabbath, very simply, is the practice of pausing from life just to be with God, slow down and reflect on what really matters. So um, in a way, you can just say um, Shabbat is a day to stop. It's a day to cease um, and a day to pause and specifically to dial into what really matters, which is my life with God, um, family, community, those kind of things. So I'm going to get into the details of that, I guess. But that's what Shabbat is, or Sabbath. Sorry, I say Shabbat. It's Sabbath. That's what Sabbath is. Um, We're going to be talking about Sabbath today. That's the terminology we're going to use. But Shabbat to cease. That's awesome. Thank you, Dawson. Um, Stosh, let's let's hear from you. What is the goal of Sabbath, and how does it actually lead us to Jesus? Because in the end of the day... We want to look more like Jesus through doing all these things. What is it, or how, what is the goal of it, and how does it lead us to Jesus? Yeah, I feel like the goal of Sabbath is encapsulated in the verse where Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Um, the purpose of Sabbath is to rest and to meet with Jesus. Um, but I also don't know if you, don't, if you guys know this, but we are also made to work. And so there's this place where God has created us to work, and to have purpose, and to actually do things with our life. Um, But then Sabbath is where we stop, and we actually take a pause, and we go, wow, like, look at my week. Look what I did. Look how God met me in that. And we we actually take the time to look and look at our life. Rather than just living it moment to moment and not actually thinking about life, we actually pause and 
breathe and remember what God has done, remember what he's doing. Um, And so I would say the primary goal of Sabbath is we get really tired because we're just humans, and that's just part of it. Like, we have to sleep at least eight hours a day for most of us, or else we're, like, not going to make it. And so Sabbath is, like, actually just sleeping throughout the week is not enough for us. We actually need a day dedicated to resting in the Lord um, and just being refreshed by his presence. Um, Jesus, scripture talks about Jesus as a healer, and I think a lot of times we think about that physically, but there's also this place where we need Jesus to come and just heal us, like, emotionally, yes, physically, but spiritually, psychologically, like, we need him to come and heal us. Um, Jesus is very holistic in his approach to healing, and so Sabbath day is literally a day where we're like, hey, Jesus, life really beat me up this week. (laughs) Um, Maybe, like, literally physically, I'm sick, and I need to, like, rest and sleep, but we're inviting Jesus to come and actively heal us during that day. Um, It's a day dedicated to communion with God, um, which sometimes means really hard heart work. So the goal of Sabbath sometimes is, like, I have to process hard things, and I have to go there with Jesus. Um, But it's also heart work and communion with God that's matched with enjoyment in God. Um, And I think we live in a day and age um, in Western culture where we've kind of disconnected our spiritual life from the rest of our life. And we're like, oh, yeah, so, like, Sunday church, life group, awaken. Those are, like, my spiritual things. And, like, yeah, if I Sabbath, that's spiritual but the rest of my life is not spiritual. Like my classes aren't spiritual, driving down the road is not spiritual, eating a really good sandwich is not spiritual. But actually in Eastern culture, which is the culture that scripture was written in, um, all of life could be considered communion with God. All of life could be considered a place of worshiping the Lord. And so if you just ate that Chick-fil-A sandwich and it just made you worship like because it was so good, like amen, God is with you in that moment. Um, And that's so silly, but Sabbath is supposed to remind us that actually every day we're living in communion with God, but we specifically dedicate a day to like be intentional about remembering that. And so with that, um, we'll get more into practical, so I won't dive too much, but it's like there is this place of enjoying your Sabbath and figuring out what things you enjoy um, that are also life-giving and refreshing to your soul. And so while I might enjoy to watch Netflix, or think I do, um, what actually might be more life-giving is to read a book or go on a walk or watch a movie rather than binge-watching a season. But there's like a place where we can enjoy the things that God has given us, um, but not take advantage of the things that he's given us. Um, And so if I was to summarize the goal of Sabbath, it's to rest, it's to meet with God, and it's to enjoy. Um, And I I feel like we do the first two pieces so we can get to the enjoyment piece. Enjoying God, enjoying our families, our friends, enjoying the fruit of our labor, quite literally, um, which all ultimately leads us to meet with God on a deeper and healthier and hopefully more fun way. Because Jesus is actually pretty fun, but a lot of times we miss that part of his character. He is so fun. Amen to that. Uh, Malia, I would love to hear from you about how do you actually plan your life to actually get a Sabbath? Like, what does that look like to, you know, plan your life? It takes planning. Planning. Yeah. Um, Yeah, in Exodus, when, like, God was giving the commandments, he makes it very clear. You work six days and you rest on one. Um, I think it, it's in Exodus 20, verse 11. Um, it actually says, he, God rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so I believe that when we actually follow 
the model that the Lord um, set at the beginning of creation of working really hard six days and resting on the seventh, there is something about it that he does honor. And so it's worth um, planning our lives in advance in a way that we can actually do that. Like, um, there's so much I could say about this, but I know we're short on time, so I'm, we can talk about it later. Um, but I think when you're looking at, like, look ahead at the next week, um, decide what day you can intentionally make a Sabbath um, and say, okay, for that to happen, I'm going to do everything else in the six days leading up to that. So what I hear a lot of times is it's really restful for me to clean my house on um, my Sabbath. Like, it's just really restful. And actually, like, maybe for some people that is genuinely enjoyable and fun, um, but I think really, like, it's actually just restful to have a clean house. Um, the, the motion of cleaning is not restful. So in order for you to actually take the Sabbath to rest, I would say clean ahead of time. So like thinking through those things of what are the things that are actually not restful um, that you need to plan into your week. And then when you have those things, you can look at your week and say, okay, I know I have to do this, 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 and I have a small window to do those. So there are things that I'm going to have to say no to in order to actually make it happen. Like you can order your priorities in the right way to actually make a Sabbath happen for the most part. I know that that is, there's different situations. But um, really, I would just encourage you to actually like take a look at your week, plan it out weeks in advance if you need to, um, and stick to it and say no to the things that are going to keep you from actually practicing that. Sorry, I think it's Dawson. It is Dawson X. I was going to talk to Dawson X. Um, Thank you, Mel. That was really, really good. Dawson, what do you even do on a Sabbath? What do you even do? Um, What do you do? Yeah, we, um, I like to do what Jesus did on the Sabbath. Um, Not like heal. That sounds really like crazy. I'm I'm just trying to say, what I'm trying to say is, um, I think when you look at the life of Jesus, he went to the synagogue. He went on nature walks through pastures. Like he did a lot of different things on the Sabbath. um, But the main hallmark of what Jesus did was that he was with the Father. And so when I'm on my Sabbath, my goal is I want to be with the Father. I want to be with Jesus. Um, And so obviously we know the whole Trinity deal. Um, And so... um, I want to be with Jesus. And this is not, like, this is the goal of Sabbath. It's not to do what we want to do, but it's to be with God. Um, And I think that's kind of hard to discern and figure out at first. And it's definitely um, a trial and a process to figure out what does my Sabbath look like. Um, I still don't Sabbath the best all the time. I'm, like, definitely figuring it out with Jesus. Um, But um, I have a list of a few things that are genuinely probably good on ramps to figure out what do I do. Um, the first one is take an extended slow morning with more sleep. Like sleep in. Don't set an alarm. There is nothing, there's nothing wrong about that on a Sabbath. I mean, if you've got, you got stuff to do and responsibilities, please be diligent and faithful. But on a Sabbath, specifically a day set apart for rest, I love my Sabbath because we don't set an alarm and we just knock out and we take a nice slow morning and we take it out 30 minutes extra to get out of bed and then an extra hour to make breakfast and just start our day really slow. And I would say that Sabbath is a really fun day to do that with because it's really restful to just take your time and make that bacon and those, we do protein waffles, like protein waffles in the morning and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh-huh, Kodiak cakes. Um, so um, the second thing, leave extra room for more time with Jesus, like leave time Leave extra room for more time with him in prayer. Leave extra room for more time with him in the word, in the Bible. 
um, leave more room for extra time with them in worship or journaling. Um, one thing I love to do on my Sabbath, um, I, we function a little bit differently in our Sabbaths, but for me, um, like, I love to, like, that's the day I like to take, take on, like, a big chunk of scripture or something like that and just really dive in with time that I wouldn't have normally. Um, and so that's, that's a really fun and refreshing thing. And by, by the time you do your slow morning and you spend a large chunk of time with Jesus, it's 3 o'clock, and you're like, where'd the day go? But that was awesome. Um, and so, um, yeah. Um, and um, something that, other things you can do, something that's fun, um, but I want to say, like, do it with Jesus, not instead of him. Um, and I say there's lots of things that are fun that we just take off and do, but then we realize we left Jesus behind us. Um, and, and really be diligent to say, Jesus, can I do this with you? Can I watch this inappropriate movie with you? Or is this just something I shouldn't watch and it's not actually going to give me rest? Um, or like, can I go, like, like, just like, can I do this with you? Or is this so breakneck fast, I'm just going to lose you in the busyness? Like, should I really go shopping at the mall on my Sabbath? Or am I just going to come back dead tired and be like, where was God I just saw? coach purses and forever 21 i don't know like um i totally guys can shop too um and um but um the last one i was going to say community we see that sabbath um in the jewish context in which it was birthed was heavily community centered it actually started at 6 p.m on friday or at sunset i'm going to end it at, at sunset on the next day and the way it commenced was this crazy dinner that everyone spent all day preparing for. And it was a weekly thing where family and extended family would gather around this table and they would have a Shabbat dinner or a Sabbath dinner. Um, and uh, community is really at the heartbeat of Sabbath. Um, and so something that we like to do is we like to like go have fun with friends, go play sand volleyball, go do fun things in the evening after we've spent a day resting with the Lord um, in the context of community. Um, and so um, I would say, like, that would be the day if you want to have some refreshing friends who you know are going to call you deeper into the things of Jesus, um, that would be the day to say, like, hey, that evening, let's, like, I don't know, we love sports. Let's go play pickleball. Let's go play sand volleyball. Let's go play basketball, like, whatever that thing is. Um, but I would say community would be that final piece. Um, and there's not a pressure to fit a bunch of fun things in the day. Um, it's actually a lot of times the simpler the better. Um, but those are just a few handrails, kind of help you plan things out. I'd encourage you to stretch yourself in each of those. What does stretching in your time with Jesus look like? If you're getting 15 minutes in the morning, maybe shoot for an hour that day. Like maybe shoot for 30 that day. Um, but like encourage you to stretch yourself and really like slow your pace intentionally so that you can be with Jesus. Does that make sense? Cool. That's a few things. So, so good, Dawson. Seriously. Um, yeah, Sabbaths are honestly so fun. And when I get to have them, they're so fun, and I love them. Um, how many of you were at Malia's time management teaching um, over here? Yeah, it was so good, wasn't it? At Fall Retreat is the rest of that sentence. Um, Malia, what would you say to the person that is like, I, I am too busy? I, it's, I'm a college student, Malia. Yeah. Right. I'm not. Um, but you know, yeah, I yeah, I know a lot college of college student, and, and, and it's very <laughs> busy. It's a busy time. Um, what would you say? Yeah, I would just say, um, if this is like brand new for you, just start small. Um, like, see where you can make room in your schedule, like to take a few hours and just just start the process. Um, if you're like, yeah, I've kind of done that here and there, like have if you know, take a half day to Sabbath, um, and like just start just start somewhere um, because it's kind of hard to go from like living at 100% all the time to, like, 
a full day. Um, so give yourself some grace. Start small. Work up to maybe a full day. Um, but if you're genuinely like everything that I'm absolutely doing is completely necessary and there is no space, um, I hear that. I've been that person. Um, and I think there are absolutely seasons that God can lead us into um, where he says, hey, you're going to you're going to be really busy and you're going to be doing a lot of things. And these are things that I've asked of you. Um, and if that's true, I do believe that he will give you what you need to make it through. Um, but I think those are seasons. Those are not lifestyles. And um, I would also be very careful because I don't think he does that often. And so if that's you, I would, I would ask maybe, are, is everything that you're doing something that you feel like this is necessary and God has asked this of me? Or are you just saying yes to every good thing? Um, like, even if it's a Christian event, or even if it is beneficial for the career that you're, like, trying to go towards, or, um, you know, an extra study group or something. Like, there are good things um, that you can absolutely say no to for the sake of your own health and rest and, um, and being able to function like a normal person and not at, like, 60% energized all the time because you're just going nonstop. Um, like, it's okay to say no to good things um, for the sake of resting with the Lord. So. So good. I'm challenged by her living with her. That's all I'm saying. Just in the ways of, you got to say no to good things sometimes just for the sake of rest. So um, here we go. Response time. I don't know what it looks like for you guys. I use uh, Apple Calendar. Uh, Google Calendar is great. Take time right now to plan out when you're going to Sabbath or Malia's new word of habit. Ha um, and brainstorm how you're actually going to spend it. Um, for me, it's Fridays. Fridays are, yeah, so tomorrow. Come on, I'm excited. Thank you. <laughs> so take time right now. We have set, a set aside time right now to... Look at your schedule. See where you could take a couple hours to start out. Half of a day, a full day, what would it look like for you to actually implement all of these things that we just talked about and have a Sabbath, a time set apart with the Lord to enjoy him, to rest in him, and to have fun with him. So we're going to be here for about, I'm going to say like two minutes, and then we'll come together. And it'll be great. Washed away in mercy's blood The arms of my Father Are open to me 
actually found some time that you can take to take a Sabbath. No matter how how long it is, if it's a day, if it's half of the day, but truly believing that through what we've heard today is that the Lord honors the time and the space and the silence that you give him. So um, that concludes our panel. That's what it looks like today. So thank you guys. And uh, Sasha's just going to say some concluding thoughts, but thanks, Kyle. Yes, I have. I get. To, I get the last say on the microphone. Um, no, just a few final thoughts. Um, one being, if you're a little overwhelmed hearing all this, you're like, "That sounds awesome." You just gave me three more things that I need to add to my life. Um, I would say start small, like what Malia was saying. Um, and also, if you've never done this stuff before, like, don't expect that you're going to be able to go sit and be silent for two hours and be super comfortable with it. Um, like all of these things are disciplines, which mean they're muscles that we have to like form and they, we have to strengthen them. And as we do, we get stronger and we actually can learn to enjoy it a lot more. And so 15 minutes, five minutes, like find the spaces of stillness and silence, find the places where you can rest and do something life-giving. Um, and don't beat yourself up because of the picture you have in your head of what it needs to look like. Um, we, we give Jesus what we have, and he meets us in it. And so if all we have is 15 minutes, that's so awesome. Like, he wants to come meet us in, in what we have to give. Um, and I think that's a place of we keep pressing in, um, and we keep, like, structuring our life around these things so that we can grow and keep meeting Jesus in bigger and deeper ways. Um, but, like, also small beginnings are really, really powerful. And you guys are in the years of your life where you're, you're figuring out who you're going to be, how you're going to live, what rhythms you're going to have. And so this is space to figure it out, like figure out what works for you, figure out what makes your heart come alive, figure out what is restful to you. Um, it's like one more practical, like literally I have a note on my phone of like, what have I done that has actually been restful to my heart? And so then when I have a Sabbath and I'm like, what the heck do I even do with this day? I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll pull out my note and just go through and see what sounds fun today, like of what I know to be restful. And so we're all in a journey. Um, like, again, to reiterate, like, this is not a destination thing. Like, it's a means of meeting with Jesus. And so there's a lot of grace for trial and error in all of this. And some weeks you're going to Sabbath, and you're going to be like, yeah, I'm so ready for this week. And sometimes I Sabbath, and I'm like, okay, better luck next week. Like, I could have done that better. Um, but, like, that's okay. Like, God is still in that. He's a God of the process. We're constantly learning. Um, and we just, we just got to embrace that. Um, but kind of one final thought is these are things that are going to help us make it for the long haul. Like all of these things are long haul practices. And so even if you're sitting there tonight and you're like, yeah, but I'm like 20 something, like I'm chilling, I'm not burning out, like my life is great, I need to live at 100% full speed all the time. That's awesome, um, but that is not going to help you make it for the long haul. And so what ends up happening is sometimes in short distances, we can sprint really hard and we can ignore these things, um, but it does catch up with us. And so even thinking about that track picture, it's like, yes, but at some point the track gets full and we have to deal with it, um, which is a lot harder than just doing maintenance along the way. Um, I like to think about Sabbath as like a powering down and then a restart. And it's like, okay, let's reboot. Let's think through what the problems are. Let's address them. And then like, let's go from there. But like, there is a place of powering down <laughs> to like help yourself analyze your whole life. Um, and so 
just to give some vision too for these things, they're not just like good ideas. They are practices that will help you be a 60-year-old who still has time with God and still loves God and walks in community. Um, it will help you be a parent or a business person um, in your 30s and 40s who like actually has friends and actually has a life that they enjoy because they know how to slow down and how to find Jesus in it. Um, and so not, not in a pressure way, but just in a bigger vision way. I think these are things that if you can figure them out now, they are going to transfer into the coming seasons of your life and really set you up for, for an even bigger win. So we love you guys, um, especially I know this was a lot that we threw at you tonight, and there will be a lot over the next few weeks. And so if there were specific things that you were like, actually, you said that, but I like wanted five more minutes of whatever you had to say, just come talk to us. We would love to be really practical and sit down with you and be like, okay, like, let's look at your schedule. Let's like look at it together. Like if you need help, we are here to help you figure out this stuff. Um, and sometimes with spiritual disciplines, you need a friend in it even if it's silence. Sometimes you just got to sit in silence with a friend just so that you're, you have the accountability to try it <laughs> and to do it. And so if you need that, your college staff is so available to you. We would love to help in any way that you guys need because um, we love you a whole ton and we really believe in these things. So that was a lot of closing thoughts. Hopefully something in there was good, but we love you guys. Um, we hope you have a good rest of your night and we will see you next week.